Before I begin this morning, uh, I also would like to uh, pray for Katie Gerber. Katie's at uh, JARS, and this past week she's been ill. She had to uh, be home for a day, but we're thankful that she's feeling better. But we uh, trust that uh, she can have a a good experience and be of great help uh, to uh, JARS as she ministers this week. Let's pray. Our Father, we uh, pray for Katie and ask that you would give her uh, strength. Thank you that uh, she's feeling better, and we Pray that this week would uh, be one that is filled with joy. We know that uh, she's doing some hard work there, but grateful for the opportunity that she has to uh, relieve those that uh, uh, are, are there, that uh, she can help with some of that load. Thank you for Kyle and Jenny and their ministry and for providing uh, housing for uh, Katie while she's there. And we pray your blessing upon uh, that great uh, ministry. Thank you, uh, Lord, for the work that uh, JARS is doing, both home and abroad. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Investments are a risky business. Wouldn't it be nice to have a worry-free investment, a safe vehicle to invest so that you know that your principal is going to be intact at the end of the day? Well, two weeks ago, We were in Matthew chapter 6 and saw that investing in the kingdom is a safe investment. In fact, it's the only safe investment that there is. Matthew 6.19 said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through or steal. It's safe. Nothing can happen to your heavenly investment. It is going to be there when you arrive. This morning, we're going to see that not only are heavenly investments a safe investment, but they actually have a guaranteed return. A guaranteed return. Matthew 6.33 is the key verse. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and here's the guaranteed return, and all these things will be added unto you. The passage that is before us is about anxiety. Anxiety. And in particular, anxiety that is associated with putting your whole investment in the kingdom of God. The fact that this passage is about anxiety is really beyond question. There are six instances in which the word anxiety appears in Matthew chapter 6, 25 to 34. Verse 25, for this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life. Matthew 6, 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? Verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Verse 31. Do not be anxious then, saying, what shall we eat? Matthew six thirty-four. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will... Now the... NAS has the word care, but it's actually the same word again in the Greek. It is the word anxious. So do not be anxious for tomorrow, 
for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Six times. Three direct admonitions. Don't be anxious. And literally, the Greek would be stop being anxious. It assumes an anxiety that is already present. So stop being anxious. Certainly, the world is anxious about money and about the future. People are very concerned about their retirement, about their investments. And one of the credos to safeguard against risk, because people are afraid of losing that which they invest, is to have a diverse portfolio. A diverse portfolio. To invest in such things as real estate, stocks, bonds, commodities such as gold and silver. And the idea is that if you invest your money in a wide spectrum of things that you safeguard against a bubble and real estate prices falling or gold prices falling or stock prices falling, it's a way of spreading your risk. However, we saw two weeks ago that for the Christian, we are not to take a diverse portfolio view of our lives. If you look at verse 24, it said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve or trust in God or mammon. And I said that word mammon means for that which is that people put their trust in. So you can't trust in God and at the same time trust in something else. And I unpacked that two weeks ago. So we are to trust God and trust God alone. Now the question this morning is, is that a safe bet? Is that wise? To put all your eggs in the basket of simply trusting God. It seems like an unwise thing to do. But it is telling us that we are to stop being anxious. We are to stop worrying about putting our whole life into the kingdom. That that is a wise as opposed to an unwise decision. The world around us is anxious because they know that they put their eggs in a pretty precarious basket. But for us, we are to be anxious free, knowing that we have put our eggs in a very safe basket. So Matthew 6.25 says, For this reason, the reason being that we are to serve God and God alone, that one investment, for this reason, I say to you, do not be anxious for your life. Don't be worried about your life. There are three basic staples in life. 
They are food, water, and clothing. That is something that we all need. In fact, you can't even sustain life without food and without clothing. And all three of these are mentioned in verse 25. I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor your body as to what you shall put on. So food, water, and clothing. Don't be anxious about these three staples, because now it's going to say something very shocking, and that is there is something more important than food, water, and clothing. And we would look at that and say, well, what could that be? What could be more important than having food and having water and having clothing? Notice the rest of the verse. Is not life more than food and the body than clothing? There is more to life than food, clothing, and water. What is meant by there is more to life? There are more important things in life than food, water, and clothing. A greater need, if you will. Something that should be much more important to us. Something that if we were to lose, would be worse than losing food, water, and clothing. So what could that be? And the answer is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Being a part of God's kingdom and having our spiritual needs and well-being met is more important than having our physical or material needs met. And this morning, the thought is, you can rest assured that by investing in the kingdom, that your material and physical needs will not be overlooked. By investing in the kingdom, your spiritual, excuse me, your physical and material needs will not be overlooked. Now, because this passage has been so abused, I think I need to put out some disclaimers before we actually exegete the verses. First, this is not a get-rich scheme. This is not the same as a health and wealth gospel. This is not saying, if you seek first God's kingdom, wink, wink, then he's going to make you filthy rich. That's not what this passage is teaching. That is not what is meant by all these things will be added unto you, and we will look at that in just a moment. Secondly, this is not an invitation to laziness, procrastination, irresponsibility, or indifference. This is not a call to be careless, but it is a call to be carefree. I'm quoting now from uh, Scott McKnight, and he says, and I quote, Money matters. Without it, we can't do most things that a capitalist would require. 
Provisions matter. Without food or drink or clothing, we don't survive. But matter is not the same as worship. Our central ache or yearning or seeking is to be for God, for God's kingdom, and for God's righteousness. Those things do matter, but the kingdom matters even more. I think that's a good statement. So, this morning, how can we be sure that if we concern ourselves with spiritual priorities in life, that our physical and material needs will be met as well? The theme is, there is no need to worry. God will take care of our physical and material needs when we seek his kingdom above all else. There's no need to worry. God will take care of physical and material needs when we seek his kingdom above all else. Now let me unpack that for you from this particular passage. First, there is no need to worry. God feeds the birds of the air, and God will feed us as well. So we're invited to learn a lesson from observing the birds of the air. Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. God feeds the birds of the air despite their lack of preparation. Look at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor do they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Now again, this is not promoting laziness or irresponsibility or procrastination. Birds aren't lazy. Birds don't just sit back and God drops worms from the sky. Birds are out looking for food. They are out doing their work. And God provides for them. On a daily basis, they're out gathering their worms, gathering their uh, foodstuffs, and God provides for them. But what they do not do is plant crops, harvest them, or store them away in barns. And the scripture is not necessarily against our sowing and our reaping or putting things into barns. But it is an argument from the lesser to the greater. If God cares for birds and provides for them on a daily basis when they don't sow and they don't reap and they don't put anything in the barns, how much more is he going to provide for us on a daily basis when we do reap, excuse me, we do sow, we do reap, and we do gather into barns. We are in a much better position than the birds. And yet the birds do just fine, thank you. And we can be assured that we will do just fine. God feeds the birds despite the fact that they are of lesser value to God than we are. Verse 26. The last statement. Are you not worth much more than they? Aren't you of greater value than the birds? Now, there'd be people in the world that would question that and question whether as human beings 
we are of greater value than the animal world. But certainly to God, we are of greater value than the animal kingdom. We are of more importance than birds. We are made in God's image. No other created being can say that. No other entity is that true of, including the angelic world. Only mankind is made in the image of God. And so the angelic world asks the question, what is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Answer, we're made in God's image. That's what makes us significant. Significant. Secondly, we are redeemed by God's Son. God sent His Son. Imagine, the second person of the Trinity, taking upon Himself human flesh, so that He could die on the cross in order to save us from our sins. That's how precious we are to God. That he would give his son in order to provide for our spiritual need. Not even the angelic world is redeemed. There is no hope for the demonic world. There is no salvation for the demonic world. They are lost. It is unique to us as human beings that we are saved. And our call to worship this morning reminded us that he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, will he not with him also freely give us all things? If God is going to care for our spiritual well-being and provide for us eternal life, you can be guaranteed that he's going to be concerned about your physical well-being and provide for your material needs, is the argument of this passage. And beyond that, there is no point in our worrying about such things, for we cannot do anything about it. Verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? Who, by sheer worry, can cause themselves to live any longer? To add a year or two to one's life. The point is, there are things beyond our control. There are limitations in life. And we are wise to remember and recognize those limitations. We can't control the future. We can't control the weather. There are things beyond our control. My father, for a period of time, actually uh, after he retired from farming, became an implement Salesman. He sold farm machinery, in particular John Deere equipment. And one time he was sued because he he sold a corn planter 
And there was a drought, and the corn didn't sprout. So he was being sued for providing them with a corn planter that didn't produce corn. Well, the judge threw the case out, recognizing that anybody knows if there's not going to be water, there's not going to be corn sprouting. We have no control. There are no guarantees that you plant a crop and the crop is going to grow. All of the things, all of the answers that this world has to provide, in reality, we have no control over. The economy could go south tomorrow. And in all of the things that we think we are making ourselves safe in, in reality, could be up in smoke tomorrow. But what we don't have control over, God does. God does. He's the one who sends the rain. He is the one who provides. He is the one who takes care. Secondly, There is no need to worry. God clothes the lily of the fields, and he certainly will clothe us as well. So here we learn that God provides for us in ways that we cannot provide for ourselves. God provides for us in ways that we cannot provide for ourselves. Notice verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil. They do not spin. Now we are invited to learn a lesson from, from the lilies. Broad word here. Flowers of the field. And we are to recognize they do not toil and they do not spin. Matthew 6.29 says that Solomon, with all his riches, could not adorn himself more beautifully than the lilies. Notice verse 29. Yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all his glory, did not clothe himself like one of these. Solomon, with all of his resources, his wealth, with his ability to spin, okay, so that he could have the the finest materials made, the best seamstresses and tailors that the world has known. So with unlimited amounts of money, unlimited amounts of skilled labor, unlimited amounts of materials from which to choose, he could not construct for himself a garment, a robe, an outfit that was superior to the lilies of the field. Now, I love this verse because this verse is so true. So true. And uh, I think it's easy to take this truth for uh, granted. But it is so true that with all of his money and all of his resources, 
He couldn't make anything as beautiful as the flowers. Now, think with me for a moment. Think with me for a moment. When people want to get dressed up, think of proms and think of weddings. Right? And people spend a lot of money. This is prom season, so I don't have to remind you people that people spend a lot of money on prom dresses. People spend an awful lot of money on wedding dresses. Sometimes ten, twenty thousand. If you're a celebrity, a hundred thousand dollars for a wedding dress. Guys, tuxedos. People go to great lengths to look their best. Put all their resources to work. So that day is special. Now, after having spent all that money and and maybe actually having something personally made by a tailor or a seamstress, and having this incredible outfit, you know what people do? On tuxes, they put boutonnieres. On the prom dresses, it's corsages. And who has ever seen a wedding in which there aren't bouquets by the bride and the bridesmaids? Why? To dress it up! To make it just that little bit better. And that little bit better is provided by the providence of an almighty God. God is able to provide for us in ways in which it is impossible for us to provide for ourselves. The next argument is that God who closed the field which lasts but a day, will certainly close us who last for eternity. Look at verse 30. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how will he not much more do so to you? So God provides for the lilies of the field, and they are here today, gone tomorrow. Literally. They pass off the scene. There's no... Life after death. There is no ongoing relationship. A flower blooms today, withers and dies tomorrow, and that's it. But you and I have an eternal soul. You and I are going to have an eternal existence. And the scripture says, if God cares for that which is here today and gone tomorrow, how much more is he going to care for us who have an eternal existence? The conclusion then is all such worry is inconsistent with our faith in God. Verse 30, last statement, O men of little faith. A term that Matthew loves seven times on different instances and occasions. There is this rebuke of, O ye of little faith. And the thought is, how can you doubt such a thing? 
That doesn't take a great leap of faith. That's not a huge amount of faith. That's a minuscule amount of faith. To believe that God could do that for you. Looking around should demonstrate that God can do that for you. Thirdly, there is no need to worry for God supplies for his own. There is no need to worry for God supplies for his own. So we move from birds to flowers and now to us, his own. There's no need to worry about material needs. Look at verse 31. Do not be anxious then, concluding statement, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what clothes shall we put on? It is the unbelieving world that concerns itself about these things. Notice verse 32. For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. Don't be like them. Don't be like the unbelievers around you. Unbelievers, their life is focused on their material and physical needs. Every waking moment, every hour, is about providing for their physical needs and their uh, material and uh, sociological needs. That's what they're into. But we're not to be like them. It says. Why? Notice the end of verse 32. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. God's aware that you need food and clothing and water. Believe it or not, God can grasp that concept. He made us. He knows that we are material Entities. He knows what we have need of. And the contrast is between our view of God and the world's view of God. Now notice back to Matthew 6-7. We've been going through this at a painstakingly slow process. I understand that. And so we lose some of the continuity. So let's go back to the Lord's Prayer and Matthew 6, verse 7. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, unbelievers, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. That's it. That's it. About your material and physical well-being. God Give me today what I need today. And you're to leave it at that. You are to cast your care away. That's it. And again, because we've been a few weeks away, I labored to demonstrate that in the Lord's Prayer that the spiritual needs have a priority over the physical needs. Now the application is, in our life, our spiritual needs are to have priority over our physical needs. 
And in making our spiritual needs a priority over our physical needs and material needs, it's okay. You'll be taken care of. You're not blowing it. What we need to do is concern ourselves with accomplishing God's purpose for the kingdom. Notice verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. The world's priorities are providing the physical, material, and social needs of their family. They are concerned in providing what their children need. And it's interesting what the world thinks their children need. It goes far beyond just food. It's the kind of food they have. Much more than just clothing, but it's got to be designer clothing. You know, it's got to be That'll be what everybody else has. Well, it's interesting to me that in our society, parents, I think, are making great sacrifices for their children, which I believe is commendable. And you can look around and and you can see families that are making huge sacrifices to, to be sure that their children have Everything that they need to be sure. And many times, more than they need. They want to be sure their wants are met. And they're really, really careful that their children have every opportunity and every experience that they as parents were unable to have. And so they're, invo- they're involving them in every activity under the sun. Whether it be sports or whether it be music or whether it be dra- dramatic or whatever category you want to think about, people are making sure their kids have it. Except for religious and spiritual education. The day that the world thinks their kids need to be in Sunday school is past. It is over. There was a time in America where everybody went to Sunday school. Those days are long gone. And all I'm saying to you this morning is because people don't think that that's all that important. For them, there is something that is much more important, something that is much more necessary. And people may not be attending worship because they need to work. But that might be a second job or a third job. I know there are shifts, and keep it all in priority here, people. Keep it all into into the general mix of what I'm saying to you. And there are a lot of people that don't have to work but choose to work because they want to make more money. And don't think that it's particularly important that they be in God's house or sitting under the teaching of his word. The admonition is, don't be like the unbelieving world around you, but rather seek first his kingdom. So what does that look like and what does that mean? Seek first his kingdom, verse 33. 
Seek does not mean to look for something that is hard to find or lost. Don't picture yourself with a magnifying glass going around trying to find God's kingdom. This is not a secret. This is not a mystery. This is not something that is a scavenger hunt. Okay, And, and we're out looking for the kingdom. No, it's not that. Rather, seek means to pursue, to work towards, to engage your efforts in. Your resources of time, money, and energy are to be dedicated to advancing God's purposes and kingdom. What does that look like? Verse 33. We are to pursue righteousness, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. His righteousness as opposed to the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Jesus had said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall no case enter the kingdom of heaven. Then he gave six examples of what righteousness really looked like. And how their righteousness did not go far enough. And then after giving six examples of how their righteousness didn't go far enough, then he talked about motivation. And said that that they appear to be righteous in order to get the praise of men, but... It's not real, it's not sincere, it's not authentic, it's not genuine. It's not a true righteousness. Well, we are to be concerned about true, genuine, authentic righteousness. We're to be concerned about right living, making holy decisions. Doing that which is pleasing and honorable and right in God's sight. That is what is to preoccupy our time and our efforts. And then God, in turn, will take care of our future needs. Notice verse 36. Excuse me, verse 33. And all these things shall be added to you. Again, this is not a health and wealth gospel. Nor is this a formula for for manipulating or tricking God into getting what you really want. So, if I seek first the kingdom of God, then... I will have my new car. Then I will have my $4 million estate. Then I'll have my boat. Then I'll have all, then all these other things will be added to me. No. That's not the promise. That's not the expectation. And quite frankly, that's in no way seeking first the kingdom. This is a simple statement that if you are seeking to do what is right, God will take care of you. It is simply saying that trusting God is not irresponsible. Nor does it promote irresponsible behavior. Back to the birds who are out gathering their worms each day. But they're not building barns. They're not doing all these other things. What is irresponsible, let me say that again, what is irresponsible is to put your faith in your ability to make money or in your portfolio or in your investment strategy or even in your diet, health foods, and all these things that can't guarantee health and can't guarantee provision. The only thing that can guarantee health and 
provision is God. So summary thoughts. Trusting in God today removes worry for tomorrow. Notice verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow. For tomorrow will be, same word, anxious for itself. Each day has its own trouble. What it is saying is that we need to be concerned about today. We need to be concerned about today. One last time. We need to be concerned about today. Now, somebody may have gotten up this morning and opened their closet full of clothes and said, I have nothing to wear. That's that's possible. But the reality is, as I look out here, I don't see a naked person. Somehow, you all managed to find something to put on this morning and get here. Let me ask you. Is there anyone here that doesn't think they're going to eat for the rest of the day? Any, anyone? You're okay for the rest of the day? You have something to eat? You have something to put on? You're okay. The scripture says, the God provided for you today is the God who provide for you tomorrow. And our source of worry is not today. Our source of worry is tomorrow. And for many, it's not tomorrow. It's 10 years from now, or it's 20 years from now, or it's 30 years from now. How are you going to survive a retirement that goes into your hundreds? And you're trying to figure out a way that you're going to be safe for the next 50 years. The scripture says, we are to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And God provided the children of Israel manna on a daily basis. Purposefully so. So they would be dependent upon him. So they would learn to trust in him. And they would find that he provided. And when they tried to gather more than enough for one day, it turned into worms and it rotted. Except for the Sabbath day to demonstrate that if he wanted to make it last, he could make it last. And so on the Sabbath there was no Manna to be found, they had to gather twice as much the day before to learn to follow God's directions and instructions. This is not a message about irresponsibility. This is a message about responsibility. We need to live holy, righteous, godly lives. We are to be righteous people. And by living righteously, you are not going to undo your physical and material well-being, you actually are going to enhance it by living righteously. I don't want to be indifferent to the plight of the poor. And you may say to me, Pastor, there are people starving throughout this world. 
And so I don't say with a, a bit of glee this morning or any indifference to the fact that I know there are people today who will go to bed hungry. And I know that there are people on this globe today will die of malnutrition. I in no means minimize that. But rather I say to you, number one, they are not dying of malnutrition because they've sought the kingdom first. That's not what got them into this plight. And number two is if God's people would really seek God's kingdom first, there'd be much less starvation and hunger in this world. For our concern would drastically seek to reduce it. And we provide better health care for peoples of this world. And on and on and on. Righteousness is about doing the right thing. So we're talking about people living righteously, responsibly, not irresponsibly. And then lastly this. And this is what I really want you to think about this morning. As we say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You may think that what I'm about to say to you is hard. I don't, I don't mean it that way. And I don't think it's that way. But our world has, as its greatest sense of need, food, clothing, and water. And even even the non-believing world is concerned about people who are starving to death, about being clothed, about being fed. And they engender, you know, you you think of the United Way, you you think of the Peace Corps, you, you think of many organizations that commendably are trying to remove some of the the, uh, poverty of this world. Um, Bill Gates has started a foundation in which he's left his business behind in order just to provide for, I think it's wiping out malaria in, uh, in foreign countries. That's commendable. That's commendable. I in no wise minimize that. But I'll tell you what they aren't doing. And that is, they are not expressing any concern about those individuals' eternal well-being and their salvation. They aren't taking the gospel to the people that are lost. All I am pleading with you this morning is, Don't lose sight of what is the greatest need in this world. Do you really believe that the greatest need of any individual is not their physical or material well-being, but it's their spiritual well-being? 
And if that's true, it should motivate us not to forget about the physical well-being, but in addition to that, care for the spiritual well-being. And let me just say to you as parents this morning, in your desire to, to care for your children and to meet their needs, which is a wonderful desire and a wonderful concern, is the foremost concern about their spiritual well-being, about their living lives of righteousness and godliness and holiness. What thrills your heart when you think of your children? What causes delight? Is it their academic prowess? Is it their physical prowess in athletics? Is it their musical skills, their musical abilities? John said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. I submit to you as parents, we need to convey to our children that the thing that we are most proud of and the thing that we're most concerned about is their personal relationship to Jesus Christ. And let's be glad if they can sing. Let's be delighted if they are fast, if they are strong. And they have a thousand and one abilities. Oh, may that be true. And celebrate it. Enjoy it. But don't let it rise to a height that's greater than your joy and your concern for their spiritual well-being and their bringing honor and glory to God. Let's pray.